Scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verse 15 through 17. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. The summer after my freshman year at college, I went home and uh, worked for a neighbor farming. And uh, one day we were traveling back and forth uh, and he told me a story about uh, this old farmhand that used to work for him. He said uh, this old farmhand that worked for him, they, they'd pick him up in the morning, take, take him and just drop him off in the field just like they did with me. Come back, pick him up at lunch, and at the end of the day, come back and pick him up again. It was lunchtime and my neighbor and his dad came out to the field where he was plowing and they just parked there on the dirt road waiting for him to finish up that row and they were going to go to lunch and as they're sitting there waiting they notice as he's getting closer that he's not slowing down it worries them just a little bit and they looked closer and they saw that he had indeed fallen asleep so let me paint you the picture here this old farmhand is driving this giant international harvester four-wheel drive tractor coming straight at the barbed wire fence that is lining their property, not slowing down. They back up a little bit. He hits that barbed wire fence full speed. He goes through the bar ditch, plows through the dirt road, plows through the second bar ditch and through the barbed wire on the neighbor's field when suddenly the tractor lurches to a stop. <laughs> They're just dumbfounded. <laughs> he gets out of the cab of the tractor and just begins to walk nonchalantly towards the pickup, gets in the pickup and says, I guess it's time for lunch. <laughs> I love it. It's a funny story unless it happens to you. We can't ignore damage to our fences. We have to take time to mend fence. All this month we've been talking about healthy boundaries and we've used barbed wire as our metaphor. A functioning ranch has to have a good fence to function. You can't have a ranch without it. And our big idea for the month has been what? Healthy boundaries foster life. Healthy boundaries foster life. We need healthy boundaries in our life if we're going to thrive. And we've looked at the issues that often uh, cause us to have unhealthy boundaries. And as I've said multiple times, these are issues we struggle with as a culture, but these aren't uh, a finite. There are many other issues we struggle with. And you can see those, the first one, FOMO, the fear of missing out or we are afraid and we don't want to disappoint someone, or we don't want to appear mean, or we don't know our purpose. And so often because of these, we do not set healthy boundaries. We took a hard look at that last one about our purpose uh, 
as well. What is our purpose? We talked about that. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ. To make disciples. To love Jesus. To love God and to love others. And we said you can't have healthy boundaries if you don't know what you're trying to protect. You cannot have healthy boundaries if you don't know what you're trying to protect. And then last week we saw how Jesus redefined families. Healthy boundaries redefine family around Jesus. We saw how just because someone is related to us doesn't mean that they have the right to try and define our life if what they're trying to define is not godly. And we looked at three things that we get to determine, do we get to determine when it comes to our boundaries. We get to determine our attitudes, our behaviors, and our desires. We have to be in control of those. We should not, if we're unhealthy, we let someone else determine those for us. But if we're healthy, we determine those things. And, and as we come to the end of this series, we're looking at one last issue. We have to mend our fences. But here's the big idea that I want us to really grasp. Conflict can restore and create intimacy. It doesn't always, but conflict can restore and create intimacy. Conflict is mending fence. It's trying to fix something that might be broke. So I want us to, uh, this morning again to look at our scripture and our interaction that Jesus has in this time with Peter. This whole series we've been looking at Jesus specifically and how he has interacted with, with the crowds, with his family, with those close to him. And we are looking at how he helps us define what our boundaries should be. This is a well-known text this interaction between Jesus and Peter. Uh, Kim helped us kind of get some of that context, but, but I want us to, uh, again, be reminded of the context of this verse. It's after Jesus was uh, crucified and raised from the dead. It's the, the last chapter in the book of John. He's already appeared to all of the disciples, and he's told them to wait for him because he's gonna come back and appear to them again and to wait. But Peter didn't know what to do next. Peter doesn't like to wait. Peter's the emotional one, right? He, he's the one who just uh, talks first and doesn't think. He's a little fiery. And all of this emotion is kind of bottled up inside of Peter and it's too much. He had to do something. And I can just picture him pacing the room when he shouts out, I'm going fishing. Anyone want to come along with me? And in fact, uh, he knew he was supposed to wait, but he's like, I just can't sit here. I got to do something. So he goes fishing. And the text says that he uh, takes six other apostles with him as they head out to the Sea of Galilee to indeed go fishing. You know, many men go fishing when they need to get away from it all. Uh, we also know Peter was a fisherman by trade. He knew what he was doing. This was something he was comfortable with. Uh, this came natural to him. So his instinct was to return to fishing. And all night long, the seven friends, they fish and they catch nothing. And, it, and we know now in the first century, fishing is a little different than the fishing we do. We go out with a pole uh, and go fishing. They wouldn't go out with a pole. They would go out with a net. And a lot of times when they would fish, they would oftentimes have two boats and they'd drag a net in between the two boats trying to catch schools of fish. Or if there was just one boat, they'd have a, a weighted net and they'd throw it out trying to catch uh, as it would go down and try to catch fish and bring them up. And the text says they uh, fish all night long. They catch nothing. And it's early in the morning. They're tired. 
And that's when they hear the voice of a man crying out from the shore. You haven't caught any fish, have you? Such an annoying question. I don't think Jesus was trying to annoy them, though. He was just stating a fact. But don't you love it when someone asks you a question that's answered in their question? And it's a question that's speaking to your failure of accomplishing a task. You didn't get that report done, did you? You didn't get the kitchen clean, did you? You didn't pass that test, did you? As a matter of fact, no, I didn't, but thank you for pointing it out for me. And then uh, this mystery man on the shore, he cries out again, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. Cast my net on the other side of the boat, really? That's what you're gonna tell me to do? Thanks for the advice. I'm sure that's what they were thinking. But for some reason, these disciples, these fishermen, they actually cast their net on the other side of the boat. And it says that they had this huge catch, 153 fish. This is how we know they were fishermen. There's a number on how many fish they actually caught. They knew. Yeah. In fact, the absurdity of it all stops them in their tracks as they look up to see who this man is. And one of the disciples cries out, it's the Lord. And Peter, the impetuous one, he just jumps into the lake and he swims to the shore immediately to get to Jesus. I love that about Peter. He doesn't know what to do, but he wants to be with Jesus. He knows that no matter how confused he is about life, he knows that the best place for him to be is next to Jesus. So he wastes no time getting there. He lets the rest of the apostles all in the fish, I'm sure they love that, and get to the shore on their own. Peter's going to Jesus. And when he gets to the shore, we see Jesus has started a fire. He's sitting there on the shore and the gospel writer gives us a little detail for us to latch onto. For the text tells us that Jesus has started a charcoal fire where he's cooking bread and then he gets the fish and he begins to cook the fish for breakfast. A charcoal fire. Just three chapters earlier, Peter stood around another charcoal fire. In John 18, we read these words. Now the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing around it and warming themselves. Peter also was standing with them and warming himself. It was at this time that Jesus was on trial and Peter is standing around this charcoal fire when he's questioned about Jesus and he denies him three times around a fire. Now Peter is standing around another charcoal fire, not being accused by others, but standing face to face with Jesus. Probably the only outdoor charcoal fire he stood around since that terrible Friday. And Jesus tells the seven to come and have breakfast. And he takes the bread and he breaks it and he gives it to his disciples along with the fish. And then Jesus begins to question Peter. He says this, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Did you catch it? Do you see it in the text? It's subtle, but it's the way the gospel of John is written with subtle word plays and symbolism and irony. Who gave Peter the name Peter? Jesus. What does Jesus say? Simon. Simon, do you love me? 
When was the last time in the book of John that Peter is called Simon, son of John? Before he was a disciple. Way back in chapter one. When Jesus calls Simon Peter to be his disciple, he changes his name to Peter. It had to hurt when Jesus calls him Simon, son of John, instead of Simon Peter. But I think it's necessary. Peter had to understand the gravity of his sin of denying Jesus. Three times Jesus asked him the same question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Not just do you love me, but do you love me more than these? Meaning all of this, your friends, your brothers, your fishing more than your life. And all three times Peter replies, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Here we see the beginning of Peter's restoration. Three times Peter had denied Jesus and three times Jesus asks the question. We see Jesus addressing him by his birth name, not his name given by Jesus. In a sense, Jesus is saying to, them, saying to Peter, you've broken trust, you're not yet worthy to be called Peter yet. But even more than that, you don't believe you're worthy of being called Peter. You have to be restored before you can be Peter again. This isn't just two men sitting around a fire talking. This is a holy moment, and I don't want us to miss this. One of the most significant events of Peter's life is taking place right before our eyes. As significant as any other event that he had gone through. And I can just imagine being one of those six disciples sitting around the fire there. (laughs) Just, I'm not going to say a thing. I'm not even going to move or cough. Because this had to be a little bit awkward. It was a tense moment. A holy tension of incredible possibilities. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And we are witnessing the moment of restoration. Jesus is mending fence. And I want you to understand something. Did Jesus break down the fence? No. Remember that. Oftentimes, we have to mend fence that was broken by someone else. Here's the key piece of the interchange, though. Pay attention. I believe Peter has already been forgiven. Jesus' death on the cross had already offered forgiveness. But there's a, a difference between forgiveness and restoration. And, and Jesus is trying to go all the way here from forgiveness to restoration. Jesus wants to heal Peter, not just forgive him. This is the amazing thing about his grace, the glory of this moment. It's the reason that when Peter heard that was Jesus on the shore, he jumped in the lake and swam to him. For Peter knew somewhere deep within him that only Jesus could bring about this restoration that he desperately needed. It was no accident he ran to the shore. It was no accident he was the first to meet Jesus on the shore of Galilee because Peter ran to the only one who could heal his memories. Peter ran to the only one who could rewrite his past, to the only one who could take the terrible memory of standing around a charcoal fire and hearing the crackling of the fire and the rooster crowing in the background. The last time he denied him. Now Jesus makes him go back and stand around another fire and offers bread and forgiveness and restoration. 
The old memories are reviewed and removed as Jesus restores him as a disciple. But there's an incredibly important second part of this interchange between Jesus and Peter. When Jesus asks if Peter loves him and he replies yes, then Jesus makes a statement. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. This is the critical part of restoration. The first part was about forgiveness. Do you love me? The second part is about restoration. Feed my sheep. Peter's restoration with Christ makes it possible for him to serve the church. Jesus gives him a calling that is foundational for his life from then on. He is to serve the church, the bride of Christ. Peter will now truly understand that to love Jesus is to serve the church, the people of God. So people of God, listen carefully. To love Jesus is to care for the church. To love Jesus is to be about the business of the kingdom of God. To love Jesus is to protect the church, embrace it, tend it. Do you love me? Then be about kingdom business. If not, I'm not sure you understand what love is. I'm not sure you understand how God has truly restored you from the horror of death and hell. This goes back to us understanding our purpose so we can put up our boundaries around that purpose. If we have those healthy boundaries, then we know our purpose. Here Jesus is mending fence in order to foster life in Peter. Notice that Jesus doesn't move his boundary to accommodate Peter. No, he sets the same boundary as before, but he allows Peter to try again and be restored and forgiven. I think that's important for us to understand. Conflict can restore and create intimacy. Conflict can restore and create intimacy. We don't have time to go into all of the ways that we approach conflict. But let me leave you with a couple of thoughts on conflict. First, Conflict is not good or bad. It's not good or bad. It can be good or it can be bad. Conflict does not mean that there will be intimacy. It does not mean that there will be restoration. There may be. It all depends. If we have the right attitude, though, in conflict, then we should understand that conflict is designed to create intimacy. Conflict is designed at its core, if it's healthy, to restore relationship. That's the purpose of conflict. We have to go into it with that understanding. If we go into conflict with the idea that I am going to win, then we have the wrong understanding. Because how many of you men have won an argument with your wife and still lost? Yeah. You can be right and still sleep on the sofa. (laughs) Conflict is about creating intimacy and restoration. Second, conflict and confrontation is hard. There are some people that are really good at it. The rest of us, we struggle. Here's what I want to say about that. If you are not good at conflict, get help. Don't do it alone. Find resources to help you because all of life is about conflict. If we avoid it, 
If we run from it, it is not going to help us in our boundaries. In fact, it just destroys our boundaries. Conflict and confrontation is hard. So I want to assure you of that. It takes work to do this well. And we will not always fix it. We will not always be restored. I want you to hear that as well. But it can restore. This is what I love about Jesus is Jesus always tries to restore us. It's up to us as well to respond. For Peter, he was restored because he responded correctly. Third, in conflict, caring comes first. We have to approach the conflict in love. I said it last week, it's all in the attitude. We have to approach conflict in love, in pa- not in power, not in anger, but we have to have a genuine attitude of love. It's a subtle shift, but a significant shift when we have conflict to approach it in love. But it's powerful. This is the only way true restoration and intimacy can happen is if we approach conflict in love. But they wounded me, yes, I understand that. But if you have a heart at war when you go into conflict, you will get war. It's the same in all of our relationships. It's powerful when we approach conflict with a heart at peace. Jesus approached Peter in love. Right? He could have said, Peter, you screwed up. You messed up big time. What did he say? Peter, do you love me? He wasn't trying to break Peter. He was trying to restore him. It's the same with our relationships. We have to approach in love and stay at peace throughout the conflict. Did I mention that this is tough work? It is hard. It's not easy. But healthy boundaries foster life. Healthy boundaries are vital to life. But we will always have to work on mending fence. We cannot ignore that. You know, after that farmhand fell asleep and drove through those two (laughs) fences, did my neighbor fire him? No. He laughed at him. Did it cause a lot of hard work to fix it? Yeah, they spent the rest of the week fixing fence, mending fence. It cost them time and money. Can you imagine untangling all that barbed wire from that tractor? Not fun. Did I tell you it's hard work? That's how we have to approach that. He knew it was a mistake. He knew anyone could do it. I've fallen asleep on a tractor before myself. I was just lucky. So what's your next steps? Have you set proper boundaries? Are you avoiding setting boundaries? Are there fence that you need to mend? I want to give you some resources if you'll put them up on the slide there. These are just books that are good about conflict and boundaries. Some of the books that we've used for this whole series along with our scripture. You can write them down. This is for you. It's up to you. Caring enough to confront boundaries, changes that heal, the anatomy of peace, the failure of nerve, ordering your private world, crucial conversations. I'm just going to invite you to leave that slide up there for now as we take our offering here in just a second. But let's bow for a word of prayer. We thank you, O God, for the ways that you 
confront us to restore relationship. We ask, oh God, that you would guide us in your truth this day and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.